Welcome, everybody, to the Pierce Point Podcast. Today, we are rolling, uh, as we stated, into Luke chapter 7, and we are going to um, hit the ground running with this continuation of uh, an interesting uh, story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 16. So uh, as we jump into this, I'm going to turn it over to see what stands out to you, sir. Well, I think first of all, uh, Jesus is talking about some things that are common to us, offense. He calls them stumbling blocks in here. And uh, I think this is important because it's very, very easy to lose your way in the world of offense. Yes. If you, there's many, many times that, and and he's going to talk about this a lot. And I'm I'm really glad that we're going through this this block of scripture in uh, in Luke uh, 17 because it is, I think it's going to be very helpful. Yeah, one of the things that I wanted to make sure that we stressed from yesterday's podcast was was just this idea that uh, again that. Miracles are not a guarantee. Uh, they are wonderful. They are, as I stated yesterday, uh, components that I believe uh, do uh, follow the people of God. I believe that they are still uh, God is still active today. I believe that He still does amazing things. I I still believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I still mm-hmm. believe that all of that is part and parcel to the Christian life, which is which is um, in some circles very offensive, but uh, I believe in all of those things. I simply want to take a reasoned approach with many of my charismatic friends and say, just because miraculous things happen doesn't guarantee a way in to um, to gospel ministry or into salvation. It doesn't guarantee that. And we saw that yesterday at the end of uh, chapter 16 when Jesus said, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to be persuaded even if someone raises from the mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is, the, in my estimation, the pinnacle of, of miracles. <laughs> and yet there's no guarantee because... God's word is enough. I mean, it is. I, I think I think one of the reasons why we have such a problem with this is because we have we have created folders in our head. We have said that miracles are in the supernatural folder, but the word of God is in the natural folder. The word of God is something that we understand with our intelligence and and we understand with our minds, while supernatural things transcend that. But the facts are still on the table. God created the world by his word. His word itself is supernatural. So, So we, we tend to put it into these two folders and we say, we need more of this uh, supernatural thing that goes beyond our reason so that people will wake up. Uh, the word of God is that supernatural thing that does awaken hearts. And it was found in the prophets. It's found in Moses. It's found cl- clearly in the gospels. And, and if we really do connect the whole of God's word, we will see that this one central gospel message according to scripture, according to the book of Galatians, was delivered to Abraham all the way back in his day. The Mm -hmm. gospel was declared. I would argue that the gospel was declared all the way back in the garden when God said that the the foot of the seed of Eve is going to, or Adam, is going to crush the serpent's head. We have the promise of the gospel all the way back then. All that I'm getting at, before we jump into verse 1, all that I'm getting at is 
All that we're dealing with is supernatural. The Word of God is supernatural. The, the Scripture tells us plainly that the gospel, that is a message, mm-hmm. is the power of God unto salvation. We've got to quit divorcing the Word of God as some sort of intellectual thing and the, and the miracles of God as some sort of overriding spiritual thing. They're all spiritual. Mm-hmm. They all affect the natural, and they're all from God. It's really important yeah. that we keep that, right? It is. If we can get so caught up in this world that we live in that we long for, we strive for, the only thing that really makes us, we seemingly, the only thing that makes us believe are the supernatural things that we see or we hear, hear about or those things that, that, that we cling to this life like there's nothing else. Yes. And don't get me wrong. It's very, very difficult if, if someone is in dire, uh, in, in dire circumstances and in danger of losing their life. It, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. But we, and I'm not saying this is easy. I'm not. I'm not saying I have the formula for that. I can tell you, though, that we can't get so caught up in this life and thinking that this is all there is. If we do that, that'll make us long for something what, different than the Word of God. Right. We will we will long for something that will supernaturally make us hang on here longer when that's not the intent yeah. that God had. It's actually a very powerful angle uh, to come at this from because many people would say, "I want to I want to be heavenly minded. I want to be eternally minded." Um, but there is a way in which we use supernatural things to focus us. On the natural, mm-hmm. we we're praying for supernatural miracles to give us more money so that we can be happy in the natural. Well, what what are we doing mm-hmm. here? Or as you just pointed out, you could. What if you had all the healing in the world? There is there is a point at which everyone is appointed to die, yes, yes. and then comes uh, the judgment. And so so the idea here is. There is, we do not downplay by any stretch of the imagination, uh, miracles, the resurrection of the dead, any of that. I simply would love to have Christians having a conversation where where it's far more nuanced, where we realize the Word of God is not in the category of just the intellectual, while the supernatural is over here in miracles. The same Spirit who moves in the miraculous, inspired the words we read on the page. Uh, we, we, we hear this all the time when it comes to, when it comes to people and their understanding of the Word of God. Uh, the, the, the favorite phrase of mine, of course, is, is that phrase that says, you know, we, we believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not the Father, Son, and the Holy Bible. But even that phrase betrays some really bad theology in that, I believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and I believe in a spirit who inspired the Holy Bible. Absolutely. I can have it both ways. Everybody who keeps divorcing these things keeps fighting over things that really are nonsense, and I have a a God who is amazing and who has given me truth in His Word, and I want to trust that, and I want to be that guy. So we're going to roll into chapter 17, and we're going to look at this... Well, this first uh, series of of things that Jesus says, which is a continuation of what we read before. Okay, so verse 1, he says, he says to his disciples, it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. 
it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea and that he would that he, than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble be on your guard if uh, if your brother sins rebuke him and if he repents forgive him and if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying i repent then forgive him so let's think about that one right off the bat oh boy yeah <laughs> well we've heard the uh, millstone uh, thing before First of all, and let, let's let's start by just some common things that we hear. This this millstone <laughs> language uh, uh, seems very out of ordinary for us. It's it's a it is a it's it's something that we we don't we we haven't heard of. It wasn't so uh, it it wasn't so odd in their day. The doubt. Greeks used to use this as a punishment. For someone, they would actually literally drown someone like this if they for heinous crimes. It was a common thing for, and the crime had to be something like, for certain, if you killed your mother and father, as an example. And they viewed a person that would do that as a plague, and they would and they would kill them. I mean, they 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 had a death sentence, and they and it was not unusual to hang a millstone around their neck and drown them. So. Mm-hmm. That that's the first thing. The, the the second thing that we need to have a little better understanding on is this word offense or stumbling block. Uh, this is a this is a, a word a uh, Greek word scandalon, which we get our our uh, word scandal or scandalous from, and it's it's a it's a it had it had originally meant it was a a trip stick for a a a trap. If they if they were to to set a trap to catch an animal, the stick that you tripped over was the trap was the trip stick or the offense or that you would trip over. So Jesus again is using things that we I, I've not I've not set a lot of a lot of traps. So uh, <laughs> I have set a few before, right. but but the these are things that would have been not been unusual to the people that were hearing this in that day. So he goes yeah. on. And he talks about that, and we're gonna we're gonna get into what he talked about about his idea of what he's yeah. calling a stumbling stone. Very much, and I think the important uh, picture that we have here is that he is talking to his disciples, and he has just dealt with um, these money-loving Pharisees, mm-hmm. okay? Um, and he seems to be warning his disciples as well as instructing them not to be like the people that he has dealt with before. Um, he does tell us that it's inevitable that stumbling blocks do come. Yes, that There are going to be people, I like knowing that, I don't like the reality of it, but I like the fact that God does not hide that from us or that we are, maybe a better way to put that in the positive is that God makes us plainly aware to look out that stumbling blocks are going to come. People are going to come. They're going to, they're going to be things that cause you to be tripped up. Um, you notice that stumbling blocks are separate from the people who place the stumbling block, right? Mm. It's inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. Yes. The stumbling block, like you pointed out, this trip, this trip wire, this thing that kind of causes people, this trap uh, that causes people to stumble. The issue is 
woe to the person who actually lays this. Mm -hmm. There's an enemy who's laying them all the time. Oh, absolutely, yes. There are temptations in this life, and they come, and we face those temptations, and God tells us, he gives us a promise that there is no temptation that we we, uh, cannot overcome because in those moments, as a Christian, he provides for us a way out. That's a beautiful picture Mm -hmm. that we have in the Scripture. So there are stumbling blocks, and it's inevitable that they're going to come. In other words, Jesus looks at his disciples and says, there's going to be many reasons why people falter, why they fall. But here's the problem. Woe to the person who causes the issue. That's where all of us need to look at it and say, man, if I cause my brother to stumble, woe to me. I don't want to be that cause. This actually paints that bigger picture of care in the Christian life that says, I am more concerned for my brother than I am for myself. Mm -hmm. Paul would talk about uh, us laying down things that are of, of, uh, of no fear or worry to us, but they are to our brother, whether it would be food sacrifice to idols, or maybe we could look at this in a modern context and say, listen, if you had a buddy who had an alcohol problem and you don't have a problem with it, well, you should abstain for his benefit because you care about him. Because even then, what could happen? You could be the cause of a stumble, and we don't want to do that. Absolutely. There are times... First of all, the the stumbling block, the scandalon, is a it could be used in a in a, in a good sense. In 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 Romans, Paul says in Romans nine, he said, "As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whosoever believe, believeth on him shall not be ashamed." So there were times this was common language that there were that the stumbling stone, the rock of offense, was a good thing, yeah. and and he also did the same thing in first. In First Corinthians, he said, "But we preach Christ, Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness." And then the the scripture that you brought up, that you brought up in Galatians, and I, brethren, uh, let, let me back up. That uh, the the uh, the other stumbling block that that he talked about was in Galatians five, and he said, "I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet?" suffer persecution, then is the offense or the stumbling block of the cross ceased? And then we get into what, what you've talked about. We're not to lay a stumbling block. Absolutely. And you used a, a perfect example of a modern day situation where we can cause someone to stumble. We can put something in their way. Absolutely. Now, philosophically, where this goes in a very interesting way is to realize, number one, that Jesus himself is not the one putting the stumbling block in place. He is the stumbling block. Yes. And if we think about this, uh, it's of course maybe going a little a little too into the into the ether here. But if you look at it and and realize we're not to be the cause of stumbling, yet we're the gospel peddlers who in in a way place that stumbling block right in front of people. Now, I I have a theory on why that's not actually a problem, uh, because that would seem to to create a problem. And that is that the Jewish people of all the people, notice who Jesus is a stumbling block to. He's a stumbling block to the Jew, not to the Gentile, not to the world at large. He's a stumbling block to the Jew because they ought to know the truth, 
but they're blind Mm -hmm. and they're not seeing it. So there is a bigger picture of what's going on there. So in our proclamation of the gospel to a Jewish person or to the Jewish people, um, Jesus is a stumbling block because they don't have eyes to Mm -hmm. see because Mm -hmm. they've hardened their hearts. So uh, the bigger philosophical idea. So he does say, again, it's inevitable that stumbling blocks come. Jesus himself is one, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck. Now, regardless of of your study on this, regardless of of how far you want to go down that rabbit hole, whether you can find uh, background for a millstone as a as a as a tool for actually drowning somebody, the point is still clear. It it doesn't matter whether we want to argue with scholars or not want to argue with scholars. The point is still clear that if you look at this, uh, you can hear Jesus saying, you know what would be better? It'd be better for you to drown than it would be for you to cause somebody to stumble. I I love the heart of Jesus because in this, he's saying, "You, you should never be the cause. There's already enough. Yes. There's already enough challenge. You shouldn't be the cause. Yeah. That's he says saying message. that physical death would be far more de- desirable yes. than than what's reserved for those whose whose intent, whose intent is to destroy the faith of somebody Absolutely. else or to cause them to sin. So Absolutely. it's very very clear. I completely agree. So the the term little ones is always curious. Mm-hmm. Um, little ones is something that Jesus has used over and over. Uh, even through parables, uh, to make a parallel to believers, right? He's he's shared this several times uh, in Mark chapter nine. Whoever causes one of these little ones to be, uh, who believe to stumble, it's kind of the parallel passage here. Or Matthew eighteen six, and whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Uh, it, it would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck. The idea here is that little ones were the were the people who were following Jesus. They were the disciples. So causing them to stumble and the person who causes them to stumble uh, garners some pretty harsh attention from absolutely from it Jesus. Does. It does. So he goes right into uh, verse seventeen or verse three rather. Uh, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. So that's a lot of times to forget, forgive absolutely, somebody. Absolutely a lot of times. And I actually think that that is exactly why verse 5 uh, comes with such an exclamation. Uh, the apostles say to the Lord, increase our faith. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I am telling you what, if yes. you are to be in this place, it seems like you would need a great deal of faith in order to keep forgiving somebody who has repeatedly offended you. Now, there there are a lot there's a lot of theory on this that that says, you know, the whole point was let's be let's do the reductio absurdum. Let's go to the point of Jesus is saying, let's say a brother sins against you seven times in a day. And some people say he's doing that to illustrate the point, but but nonetheless, here's here's our problem. If somebody sins against us or somebody hurts us, we often say that phrase, we say, "Hey, fool me once, shame on me." Mm-hmm. Right, shame on you. Uh, the second phrase is, hey, you fool me twice, shame on me. Yeah. In other words, to say,
say, I'm not going to put up with that kind of thing, okay? And and to be quite clear, if somebody fooled you, they would be sinning against you, right? Yes. So, but the idea here is that it should be constantly met as long as there is repentance, it should be constantly met with forgiveness. But here again is one of our great problems. We believe that we know the heart of a person when the scripture seems to indicate we never know the right. heart of the person. Absolutely. And here, here's right. why. Now, we, we are supposed to be able to identify people based on their fruit and all of that. That's wonderful. And that fruit should depict the heart you know, within. Mm-hmm. It, it should depict that. Um, but here's the deal. We, we say somebody comes to us and they say, man, I'm sorry. I really didn't mean to do this. We say, hey, I forgive you. It's all right. The next time they do the same thing, they say, man, I'm sorry. I really didn't mean to do that. I, you know, or, or even I meant to do it. I'm really sorry. And we say, okay, I'll forgive you, but stop, right? And then a person comes back and they come back and they come back and they come back and they're telling you they're sorry. And it, tends to be that our heart goes, I don't believe you ever. I'll believe it when I see you stop for good. The scripture does not say that. The scripture says that the heart we're supposed to be trained in is a heart that says, if our brother comes and says, I repent, then forgive him. Absolutely. That's a hard lesson. That is hard. And I think what you've just said is exactly why he goes to the the extreme. I mean, if if you count this up, there's the, the the rabbis of Jesus' day. Let me just back up. The rabbis of Jesus' day had a saying that if you can forgive someone three times, you are a perfect man. That's what the. So this was if you take it seventy times seven is. 400, uh, 490, it's 490 times. So what Jesus is is saying here is that it's far beyond what this world can achieve. So, and, and, and it is, uh, uh, and here, here's the, here's the other question that comes up in my mind. What if someone doesn't ask you to forgive them? Then what? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that comes back to loving your enemies, praying for those who persecute exactly. you, caring for those who have offend you, offended you. Um, there is there is a, a very clear biblical precedent that repentance and forgiveness go together. Yes. Okay? And that one without the other seems incomplete. Yes. Um, but the idea of what we would do as redeemed people, what we ought to do towards people, even if they're our enemy, is still clear. Yeah. Whether they've ever asked for forgiveness or not, whether they've ever repented, our uh, our position is to love them. Now, that comes to a fine line when we read things like 1 Corinthians 13, which tells us that we aren't supposed to um, celebrate in unrighteousness. And, and that that begins a very, very nuanced conversation that would say, what is what does it mean to celebrate someone? Mm-hmm. What does it mean? So if somebody's walking in sin, and let's say they've even sinned against you, if they're walking in that sin, uh, the, the important thing that we don't do is say, it's okay. It's, it's not okay. But... Uh, but not telling them it's okay is not saying that we hate them. 
Uh, we're, we're speaking the truth. That's not okay. And I want you to repent. I want you to come back to this relationship. You notice in the story of the prodigal son, the father doesn't say, well, your younger brother, he sins. He just does that. It's okay. Not that big of a deal. Let's come back to the house. Let's throw a party. Let's do this. No, 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 no. None of that happens. When the party happens, the young boy has repented of Absolutely his right. sins, and he's come back. So, so there is a whole lot to this idea. But, man, if, if I'm looking at this statement of Jesus, I'm looking at it, and I'm saying, gosh, where's my limit? Yeah, yeah. I get to about three. Yeah. I get to about four, and then I'm then I'm judging the heart of the person. Yeah. I'm going, you are lying to me. Yeah. You have said this before, and you have done it again. And the truth is that 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 is a woe to me. Yes. That's a woe to me. I have a responsibility that says, if they say I repent, then my my command right there in verse four, mm-hmm. forgive him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it, to me, is no wonder that the apostles would say, increase, increase our, faith. our faith. But that brings up a really important, uh, I believe, philosophical question about faith, which we're going to get into yes. in just a second. Yes. So, so let's just keep tackling this down if you're, if you're good. Sure, with yes. I, I think, first of all, that this going back to the forgive, forgiveness, I think that it would go against the very attitude of what Jesus had in the whole of his teaching if someone hadn't offered an apology or asked to be forget, forgiven and we didn't that's not a an excuse for us not to forgive think about that for a second that would put the responsibility for uh, for a Christian's attitude on the offender and not on us. Yeah. It's not on the offender. It's on us to forgive. It doesn't matter what the offender does. Absolutely. So uh, that that would make no sense whatsoever. So it's not stated here, but that would go against all the other teachings of what Christ yeah. said. And that that really hits the answer to your question from before, which is what happens when your brother doesn't forgive or doesn't uh, repent? What what happens then? None of that should change your Christ-like character. Yes. None of it should change yes. that. You you ought to be the love your neighbor as yourself yeah. kind of person. Um, when forgiveness, when repentance happens, and when forgiveness is given in that situation, what is beautiful about that is that it is it is um, it is a hu- when it's between two human beings, it is a small reflection of the unified relationship that happens between us and the Father. When we repent, that's why the gospel says repent and believe. When we repent, God is faithful and just to forgive. And when that repentance meets that forgiveness, when those things come together, there's restored relationship. There, it may be that when you're loving that person who hasn't repented, there is no clear restored relationship. Right, That's right, true. Right. That can happen. But it should never change you. You should love. You should care. You should pray for. You should do all the help and, and everything that Absolutely you can do. Right. Now, will there be a restored relationship? In today's culture, oftentimes there is there is what I would say a an ignorant relationship. And that is a relationship that acts as though nothing ever happened. Mm-hmm. But the truth is... There's still there's still a breakdown of that relationship, yes. and somebody yes. on one side or the other knows that something just doesn't mm-hmm. feel right. Mm-hmm. So as far as we go, if somebody doesn't repent, 
We ought to be a people that, that say, I'm going to love you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to keep calling you to mm-hmm. repentance, but I'm, I'm going to love you. I'm going to, yes. you, you know, you've offended me. You know, you've hurt me, but I'm going to love you. When, when repentance comes and forgiveness is given, then uh, unity happens. Again. Yeah. And that's the goal here. It's a beautiful thing to be, to be able to say it would be beautiful. And I, and to say to someone who's coming after a long time of seemingly no asking for asking for forgiveness, forgiveness to say, I've already forget, forgiven you. Yes, I already have. Yeah, and, that uh, brings up a really uh, brings up another important point, and that is that um, the sign of genuine repentance meeting genuine forgiveness is the sign of restored relationship when relationship is not restored genuine relationship is not restored you can you can take it to the bank that something of those two pieces of the equation is what's off mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. you can take it to the bank to realize there is either not genuine repentance on one side or a withholding of forgiveness on the other wow that's that's those are the telltale signs wow. of this story the the truth is Unity happens. Yes. A reunion of some amazing magnitude happens. And I believe it's reminiscent of the story of the prodigal son yeah. and the father. So, very, very difficult con- yeah, absolutely. concept. It's hard. No <laughs> it's doubt. Hard. So before we move into verse uh, 5 and 6 and on, Jonathan Bobby Daniels had chimed in on the Talk It Over section. And here's what they said. Uh, they said, Jesus tells us to forgive those who come to us in repentance, even when it is over and over. I find such peace in knowing God does the same for us. I know there are areas of my life where I am weak, but if I keep working on it, recognizing my sin and asking for forgiveness, He will forgive me and lead me out of it. Not that I am to sin so grace might abound, but that I should be aware and work to turn away from it. The friend came seven times in a day because he knew immediately and repeated immediately. If we act in our own sin in this way, uh, I think it would be easier to overcome, meaning repeated immediate repentance, mm-hmm. right? If you're yes. going to sin, yes. immediate repentance. So guys, it's just a fantastic comment. I could not have it's put awesome. that better. Just very, very powerful. Of course, I think we would all agree None of that makes it any easier, but we have to work at it, right? So verse 6, and the Lord said, (laughs) the disciples, increase our faith, Lord. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, or a mulba tree, I don't know what I just combined there, but that was epic, uh, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But he will not say to him, prepare something for me to eat. But he will not say to him, uh, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I, while I eat and drink. And afterward, you may eat and drink. That's what he should say to mm-hmm, this person. Mm-hmm. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that 
which we ought to have done. Wow. Uh-oh. Wow. We're dealing with all kinds of wow. stuff here. Well, I think the first thing, you've got to go back to verse 5. And the apostles, after hearing what they've just heard about repenting, uh, 70 times 7, they've got to be thinking, there's no way. How? What kind <laughs> of faith do you have to have to Seven forgive? times a day? Yeah, it's, it's just, I think they saw this as nearly, nearly impossible. Their, their reaction to this, I mean, it was immediate. It, 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 it just seems to be that they supposed that there was some type of special faith they were going to need to be able to do that. Absolutely. I, it just, they couldn't see this in, in, their, in their human sight, and they couldn't comprehend it in their mind. That, that you could forgive, forgive that. And they, they thought this has to be some yes. special dispen, yes. dispensation of faith. <laughs> yes. So, so the very first thing that we have to recognize is, in fact, that we don't have a faith meter. Okay, so <laughs> I, I've shared this m- many times. I would love it if this message were the kind of predominant message that people were able to hear from me in general, uh, from me in in particular, uh, because I believe that there is a fundamental misunderstanding of faith inside of our world. Notice this, that the apostles do ask the question or declare a thing in a framework that sounds like there's a meter. Increase our faith. But the response of Jesus proves that they didn't need their faith increased. Right. Notice what he says. He said, if you had a faith, if you had faith like a mustard seed, yeah. you'd say to the yes. mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Notice that Jesus' response to increase our faith, God, is to say, you don't need that. If you had any faith if whatsoever, faith. if you had faith, period, your issue is you'd be able to accomplish this. We we constantly hear this read through the lens of you have a one on a scale of one to ten, and you just need a two in order to move mountains. You just need a two in order to see your friend healed. You just need a two in order for this particular breakthrough inside of your life. It's simply not a biblical concept. The problem here is that that Jesus actually says, you all don't have any faith at all. Yeah, exactly. And here's the faith that they needed to have, that if they will forgive, God will take care of them. If they forgive, don't you worry. God will be your support. He will be the one who comes behind you. Their issue is the same issue we have, God you don't understand. If I forgive that guy another time, he's going to keep taking advantage of me and all my life is going to be wrecked. It's going to be miserable. My emotions are going to be in the gutter. And God goes, who are you trusting? Yeah, exactly. Who are you trusting? So they say, increase our faith. And his response is, if you had any, we'd be fine. Yeah. If you had the smallest amount, we'd be fine. That's not what you hear preached. No, no, it's just, it's un, unbelievable. So that, that's the first thing that we're seeing here, that he says, you actually just need to do it. The second thing that I find fascinating here is that the uh, superpower of faith here that just comes with having any, period, yes. is to forgive somebody. It yeah. has nothing to do with healing. 
Mm, has nothing to do right. with some supernatural. Yes. Or wait, let's let's revisit this category of supernatural versus natural. Mm-hmm. It is supernatural. It is affecting all of those things. It just doesn't have to happen to be the amazing fireworks that we like to see. Mm-hmm. His point here of needing faith was to actually walk a life of forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty strong. Yeah, and if you, it, now that's been ripped out of context many, Absolutely. many, many times. Yes, and Jesus is clear. I love, I love what you said. He, here's what I think he. In my mind, I see him saying, look, you if you have any faith, you're okay. The problem is not your faith. You just need to start exercising what you do have. You, you have, the problem is you need to just start doing what I say. Yes. Exercise the faith. Do that. Yes. I, I, I can't, it seems clear. It seems clear. And I, it's so easy though to take this and apply this to situations <laughs> where it absolutely was not the way the yeah. the way that Jesus applied it and was the circumstances that Jesus apply, applied it. So yeah. So awesome. In a, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> in a second, we're going to get into what he what he is meaning by this slave talk, and we're we're going to assess that. But just to kind of bring out this point a little bit more. I want to read from you a a commentary that I believe is a very good commentary. And yet in this area, this is a scholarly level commentary, but in this area seems to miss the logical point, Mm -hmm. seems to miss it. Okay. So here's what the commentary says. Increase our faith. This can mean, number one, give to us a greater faith than we already have. Two, Add to the gifts we already have, meaning faith or something else. Or number three, give us faith with the possible implication that they do not possess faith. And here's where the commentators seem to go tragically wrong. First of all, those three those three ideas um, are not all the options, right? but that's right. all that they list, that's, right? Yes. And here's what they say. The commentators say this. Since those asking probably would have had some faith already, remember he's talking to the apostles, exactly. right? Categories again. We got disciples, we got crowds, we got Pharisees, we got apostles. These are the 12 here, yes. right? And he said, and, and they say, since they would probably have had faith already, uh, because they were apostles, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the first, this is this is the conclusion. The first possibility is to be preferred. Remember the first possibility. Give to us a greater faith than we already have. Okay, let's just say that that is what needs to happen. Increase our faith. You notice that Jesus actually doesn't do that. He says, Mm. you want an increase in faith, and I'm telling you, if you have the smallest of faith, you could do it. Yes. The answer of Jesus says all three of those commentators' suggestions are total nonsense. Yeah. But we don't read it that way. And so we keep within our framework of I got a faith meter, and if I can just get it up on that scale to a certain level, I'll be able to do this. What were these people's problem? When it came to forgiveness, they didn't want to trust Jesus yeah, at all. Yeah. And I can prove it yet again. So here's what he goes on to say. And I'll read this a little slower this time, so I'm not tripping over it myself. <laughs> Verse 7. Which of you, having a slave 
plowing or tending sheep, so he's out in the field, he's doing something, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. None of you, that's the hypothetical question, and the answer is none of you would say that. Right. But will he not say to him, and let's rephrase that in in the positive way, but instead you would say this, prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, because you're dirty and filthy yep, yep. and probably smelly, and serve me. Why that? Well, this is just oppressive. Because he was the master. Yes. That's the way it happened, yes. okay? Yes. We need to get past our, our folders here, right? So he says, serve me while I eat and drink. And afterwards, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave, not because the master is not grateful for the work. He would be nothing if the slaves didn't do their work. Yes. But we have a fundamental misunderstanding, again, in this context, of slavery. So he says, he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? Positive. He would never thank the slave because he did his job. He wouldn't. he wouldn't. It's just not what you do. No. And then Jesus hits them with this verse. He says, so you too. When you do all the things which are commanded you, Okay, what, what, what are those commands? Love the Lord your God with all yes, your heart, mind, yes. soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Forgive your brother if he comes to you seven times mm-hmm. in a day and yes. asks for forgiveness, forgive him. No matter what faith you think you have, if you had the smallest level of faith, you could do this. So in other words, you're my servants. I'm your master. Do what I said. Yes, yes. <laughs> this is Jesus' yes. line here. He says, so you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say this, we're unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. I think Jesus right off the, right, right at the end here, not right off the bat, but right at the end here, I think he's staving off another problem that is about to creep in. And that is sometimes when we forgive people who've offended us, we go, that's the kind of guy I am. Yes. Oh, I'm, yes. A, I'm a forgiving guy. Um, and we seek accolades. We seek the praise of men. Yes. But the sad part is, um, I'm actually just doing what I was told. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not even good at that. Yes. I, I, I love that point. That is, that, that is as clear as clear can be in the, the context of this. Jesus says right in the last part of verse 10, he says, well, all of verse, let's just go with all of verse 10. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We, and why are they unworthy slaves? They didn't do anything special. Yes. We, have on, we have done only that which we ought to have done. Yes. I, we, if we miss the point here and, and get the attitude, this is like, yep, boy, I'm really glad that I'm a, I'm a good slave. I'm a really good slave, and I'm probably the best slave. Yeah. At, no, you, we've just done what we yeah. ought to have done. It, it's, don't get me wrong, we, we will, there, there, there are rewards. Most of them do not come in this life yeah. for doing what God says. Some of them do, but I can tell you that, that at best, at best, if we, if we understand this, we are unworthy slaves. I, this is not to go up against our friends who believe in health, wealth, and prosperity. 
it, we're still unworthy slaves. Jesus said, if you do what you're supposed to, you've only done. You've just done what you ought yes. to have done. Yes. So this brings up that important idea that people wrestle with in the church uh, a lot today, which is, what is our fundamental identity in Christ Jesus? What, who are we? Um, and then I want to deal in a second with uh, the fact that even though we are saved by grace through faith, there are things we ought to do because yes. <laughs> we are his, okay? But I believe one flows into the other. The, the, the struggle that we have is this fundamental identity. People will say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And, and, and here's where they come up with that. They, and, I, and I understand it. And I totally, I totally see where they're coming from. The, the story of the publican and the tax collector and the guy's beating his chest and he's looking down on the ground. And he says, he says, I am unworthy. And, and he's calling himself a sinner. And people say, see that guy, Jesus says, that guy goes away justified. Therefore, I'm a sinner saved by grace. Okay, listen, if the heart that you're communicating that with is that the position you stand in outside of Jesus is absolutely unworthy, then I'm right there with you. Yes, I'm right there with you. I know that that is, is a fundamental identity, but here's what that is a fundamental identity of. It's a fundamental identity of our humanity. Yes. It is. We are sinners, and we are saved by grace, and we have nothing to stand on on yes. our own, okay? But then there's also the side of the church that says, hey, we're children of God. We're saints of the Most High. Uh, the, the Bible calls us friends of God. The Bible, calls us, the Bible calls us brothers. The Bible calls us children. The Bible calls us all of these beautiful things. And to them, I say, the, the evidence is overwhelming. You are absolutely right. Correct. Yes. We are. But the right answer, I believe, in this great debate, if you will, I think the right answer is when somebody says, am I an unworthy slave or am I a child of God? The right answer is yes. 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 It is not so that you walk around acting like a dejected sinner, slave, whatever. No. How would that person just really fun thought experiment. How would that person boldly approach the throne of grace? Mm -hmm. We're called. We're told we can boldly approach the yes. throne of grace. Sadly, what I find in the church is that if you believe too deeply in one of these two fundamental ideas without a without a reality check, mm -hmm. that's what I would call it, mm -hmm. without a reality check, it causes you to go into one of two ditches. If you're always beating yourself, maybe like the caricature of the Puritans would or the caricature uh, of these of these early reformers or something, uh, where they're always beating each other up and saying, I'm a horrible, wretched, pitiful nothing. Uh, you know, I'm a worm. We see this written in yes, some hymns yes. and things like this. If you go too far with that, what you miss out on what you miss out on is what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. You actually miss out on that I am a child of God. Yes. I'm a friend of God. And that's beautiful. But I'm that because he said so. Yes. Right? Yes. That's Absolutely important. right. Now, if I go to the other side and I walk around acting like I've never sinned in my life and that I, I'm a child of God, so therefore I can't do any wrong, I fall into the other ditch, which acts like the older brother mm -hmm. of the prodigal son story. And people miss this. We say things like the older brother. We say, all my life I've done everything you've asked me to do. 
And the father goes, yeah, and you're still my kid? Yeah. I, I, that, what, what's your point, right? Yes. Our arrogance takes over. I believe that's who Jesus was, uh, what Jesus was addressing when he said, you're unworthy slaves. We've only done what we ought to have done. Yes, yes. Right? We, we should never, ever forget that all of those things that you've described, we are a friend of God. We are a child of God. There are things that God has, has done for us that, that make us his child. But none of that, none of that came on our own merit. Hmm. Not one single thing, not one thing that we did no. caused any of that. Not one thing that we did bought any of that. Not one thing that we did caused us to deserve any of that. I love I love what I, I I love what Charles Spurgeon said. He one of the and I, I love he said, growing saints think themselves nothing. Full grown saints think themselves less than nothing. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that. Now, there again. It's not it's not, it's not throw yourself under yourself. the ground. Exactly. exactly. It is it's simply understanding that our position was bought. We were bought with a price whether yes. we like it or not. Yes. We were bought with a price and we couldn't we could never have paid that price. No. And it is not something that we had the ability yeah. to do nor will we ever. I think I think when you're a, when you're a child and you really do understand uh, that you uh, played no part in your um, in your in your planning, in your being here. Yes. You actually were the choice. You were the decision of your parents. Now, of course, people can get that completely off and run into some strange soteriological views, which I'm not implying in, in any way. As a matter of fact, I would reject those ideas. But here, here's what I want people to see. Even our repentance didn't earn our salvation. Right. Nathan, what, what, what do you mean? What, is it repentance required? <laughs> yes, but here's what we have to remember. Just like the covenant that was made with Abraham came hundreds of years before the law, the gift of God's grace came on the cross before we were even born. Right. Our repentance is an acknowledgement that we are not worthy yes. of a thing. Yes. That does not mean that by me repenting, I made Jesus die on a cross. No, he did that before I ever thought about yes. it. He's the one who created the system that said, I'm going to die on the cross for your sins, and I am telling you that you need to repent and believe in me, and I'll forgive you of absolutely everything. Mm -hmm. everything. So, so again, this, this real important idea that we are, um, we are, apart from Christ, we're a lot of things that we don't even want to talk about. Right. 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 We are unworthy servants, slaves, okay? Okay. Um, now, I would point that he even calls them that now. He says, by the way, you're un unworthy yes, slaves even yes. now. And these were following Jesus, people following Jesus, right? So, so number one, you have, you have that side, unworthy slaves. The other side, we are children of God. Yes. We are friends of God. And we're grateful for that. And by the way, that is only through the blood of Jesus. Yes. That's the way that that works. Yes. Now, the next piece that I think is just tied to that is that the things which you ought to have done, the things which you ought to have done. We have got to get our hearts and minds back as a church into this idea that because we are saved by grace through faith does not mean there is no expectation of us mm -hmm. in our life. Mm -hmm. 
it sets us in a right place to fulfill, to practice, to walk out the expectations that have been placed on us. The same scripture, as a matter of fact, the same writer who would say we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, this gift of God's grace, not of ourselves, but it is from God, is the same writer who says in view of mercy, present your body as a living sacrifice every day of your life. We, we, it's the same writer who says, should we t- continue to sin that grace might abound? No. <laughs> it's the same author. So we've got to get ourselves to this idea. There's a lot in this life we ought to do. Yes. We are commanded to do. And one of those is forgive people. Yes, yes, yes. It's great stuff. So tomorrow we're going to rock into uh, hopefully the rest of this chapter. (laughs) We Barney and I have both completely resigned to the fact that we're going to get through a chapter each podcast, unless it's about three verses. Uh, Yeah, and then and then we might you know or like that last section, unless it's ten verses, maybe we'll get through it. But Uh, (laughs) so we're going to break this one up into probably three. Seems like. That's exactly right. That's exactly. We've still got uh, two more podcasts on this. No. So we're going to come back tomorrow and we're going to be talking about the rest of Luke chapter 17. We're going to deal with these uh, these 10 lepers that are cleansed and hopefully we can even get into uh, the last half verses 22 through 37. But we want to hear from you. Jonathan and Bobby, your comment was absolutely amazing. Uh, Mike Van Fleet had chimed in and said, waiting patiently on God's plan, walking in faith, humbly in obedience is just part of what I get from this chapter as Jesus teaches us. We're going to revisit that comment and kind of find its place inside uh, of of what we do tomorrow. Uh, Lauren Peace chimed in and said that the kingdom of God is within you. Wow, just Wow. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll hit that comment as well uh, when we when we roll into this. But the idea here is we love interacting with you. We love hearing what your thoughts are. So please send those to us. You can comment on the Facebook page. You can comment on SoundCloud. You can comment uh, through email, NathanFrankhauser at gmail.com, Barney Estes at Yahoo.com, or PiercePointChurch at gmail.com. Uh, or you could send us a text and tell us things like Jerry Kluss yes, did. Yes. Uh, I think he chimed in a little bit earlier. I don't remember Extremely what he said. Extremely encouraging. Awesome. He said, great job today, fellas. There so we go. I love it. Jerry, that is encouraging. Jerry we is always an that. encourager, which we absolutely love. So we want to hear from you, and, and we don't just want to hear that you, know, you think we're doing a good job. We do want to right. hear that, but we want to hear your questions. We want to hear points of agreement, points of disagreement. Um, we want to hear parts that maybe we skimmed over. We went through too fast, and you say, oh, there's a huge point there, and I want to share this with everybody. We will definitely bring that uh, onto the podcast. So uh, that will be it for today, and we will touch base again tomorrow. We love you guys. God bless. Have a wonderful day.